Are you a werewolf? What I am not you? a werewolf, but I am your host, Scott O'Dell. I'm joined by host Jeff Garst. Hey, Scott, not a werewolf. Host Corey Jorgensen. Hey, how's it going? Not playing werewolf. And host Peter Evans. Hello. If we have four people hosting, we can't play werewolf. Lucky Cody. Why not? Well, you need five, really, right? Five. Oh, okay. I don't know. You need like at least 12. I can live with that. We're back That's from a Thanksgiving it's a break. Sacrifice I'm willing to make. We are back from Thanksgiving break. I did not even have turkey this Thanksgiving. What? Yeah, we had kebabs. I didn't either. But I'm deathly allergic to poultry, so <laughs> I never do. Oh. Ham kebabs? That uh, was chicken and beef. What did you eat, Peter? Uh, I had ham. Was there turkey as well? Or? There was. I just don't eat it. Well, if you're deathly allergic, I would just have ham. That was my choice as that's well. The, <laughs> that's you. the I life, mean, like, bro, life the pro tips by Scott. Um, oh, all right. You're allergic to turkey. We'll just eat some ham. Just to highlight from. what we're drinking. It's, it's like those. Uh, it's like all those um, disclaimers for uh, pharmaceutical commercials. <laughs> they all have "Don't take if you're allergic to this drug" right. as one of their disclaimers. Like, okay. Anyway, yeah. don't eat turkey. If you're allergic to turkey. Um, Let's come back to what are you drinking for next episode. <laughs> Well, I, I well, do think it's funny because at one point in the last 20 minutes, Cody had, I counted, seven drinks in front of him. So it's exciting times here at Spielbound. <laughs> they call uh, that a cliffhanger. We'll talk about that next week. We're not going to talk about it? Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, next week. Uh, beverages are making it next week. Got uh, it. Got what it. have you guys been playing? Does anyone oh, want to highlight anything? Oh, man. Seven questions. Well, I so I haven't been playing a whole lot because I was cast in a play. What? We'll what talk, play? Uh, I am in Murder on the Orient Express at Bellevue Little Theater. Is there a more Jeff Gars play than Murder on the Orient Express? There are several. <laughs> um, Should we give away the, the Adams Family? No, I'm Jeff Gars the Musical. <laughs> yes, Gloomhaven. I wrote actually wrote Jeff Gars the Musical. It's un, it's not no one's picked it up yet, mm. but I'm hoping that the Gershwin Theater in in New York will chase get back to me. Chase your dreams. Um, no, so yeah, I'm in a play, so I haven't played a whole lot of games, but the, the games that I have played, uh, I got my family into uh, Hanabi. They're, they're, they really liked Hanabi. But the other thing we've been doing a lot of, which is board game adjacent, is jigsaw puzzles. Is it how adjacent no. to board games is that? I'd say quite. In many stores, they're right next to it. Yeah. Puzzles <laughs> and games is a very common <laughs> category. <Okay. laughs> All right. Yeah. So... Board game adjacent, I got some new linens because I was in Target the other day. Next to the board games is the linen section. <laughs> okay, I think I think it's clear you know, that I was puzzles lo- are a little I was closer. Looking, I was looking for that joke, and I couldn't find one that seemed his was smart enough, but employee. that didn't stop Scott. <laughs> Holy buckets, we're all very loud. <laughs> yeah, um, if we're all loud, then none of us are loud. No, I think puzzles are board game adjacent. Okay, we'll see. I, I guess I was expecting th- the adjacency to be on the game end of it, and it's not. It's on the board right. end of it. Okay. Well, and just like the the social aspect of it as well. Sure. But yeah, so my my mom's neighbor has these super expensive wooden jigsaw puzzles mm-hmm. that are like a hundred dollars a piece. So of course, none of us could ever afford them. But we borrow the wooden jigsaw puzzles, and we do. Um, every week when we go over to my parents' house for dinner, we do uh, we do a little progress on our wooden jigsaw puzzle. So I've been doing a lot of that lately. Huh. Uh, I had a, a couple of colossal family failures with uh, board games. 
Um, well, so first of all, That's it's a, a, good to talk about. Game. Uh, a, a, a game I've been super excited about and I love playing. It finally came in. Uh, Suburbia Deluxe 10th Anniversary <laughs> oh Edition God. is here. I wonder why it failed. Uh, so we've been playing that, and I love that game, and it is gaudy. Like, I splurged and got all 20 player boards. So when you when you set up the game, you have 20 different <laughs> cities and colors to let people choose from. Uh, it's absurd, and there's just so many tiles. There's just stacks and stacks and what stacks What was the failure tiles. part? Okay, so we've been playing that, and that's been well, fun. Well, Mabel didn't enjoy it. <laughs> uh, so my father hated it so much. He did not enjoy the bookkeeping aspect and really couldn't wrap his head around the like process, the orders of like how you do things whenever you lay a tile. Um, and he just kept trying to, like, he would buy a tile, and then it wouldn't do the effect that he wanted, and he'd just be annoyed. And we were, eventually we were just doing it all for him. So, so to counter that, the next day when I went over... I brought several games that I thought were kind of the opposite of that. And so I proposed a whole bunch of different games. And the one that was selected was Dragon and Flagon. And I don't know if any of you have played the Dragon and Flagon. Uh, I've played it with Scott. I know. I played it with you. And you loved it. And I think I played it with Dryden, who composed our theme song. Yes. He killed us. Yes. He miraculously does well in that game, which should be impossible so Dragon and Flagon is an action programming game where you are simulating a bar brawl uh, and you plan two moves ahead. So you don't know what's actually going to happen. You don't know the state of the board when you flip over your card and say, hey, I'm shoving a table. Like there might not be a table or you might sprint, but you might have been knocked into a wall. So when you go to sprint, you just it's don't like move. It's less fun Colt Express. Sure. Uh, that would probably be how my father describes it because about three quarters of the way through... He just programmed every action for the rest of the game and just left. And he didn't, <laughs> he didn't, he didn't like, he didn't actively program. He just randomly chose cards and put them face down just and said, this, this, is, this is what my character is doing and left. And I was like, okay, I failed bad. And then did he win? Is he did not. Okay. He got destroyed. Like immediately two turns into the game. Somebody took a thing right in front of him, and then uh, somebody else just smashed a barrel into him, and he didn't like it. Just and and then he just did nothing. Like he just stood there and did nothing for like three turns. Yeah, it was fun. Dragon and Flagon. I like it. My dad doesn't. I think they should put that on the back of the box. I think they should. Yeah. So I guess we had a little more success with getting some family to play games that don't normally. My sister has three teenage children. Uh, that were in town, so they, they live in Milwaukee. And I got them to play Fuji Flush, which they didn't really get. We only played one round of it. Uh, we played several rounds of Insider. They really liked that. And then they played one uh, long game of Dixit with uh, mm. nine people. So it, uh, we, we didn't play with the extended person rules. We just still use the base rules. But they really liked that. I like the turn that this board game and really every board game podcast takes at this time of year, which is really how can you manipulate your family members into playing <laughs> games that they clearly are not interested in? Yeah. <laughs> like what, what can you sell them well, on that I, maybe feels I like think, a game? Yeah. I think it's about doing years and years of work 
and getting them a little interested and then just backing off of it and letting them bring it up like that i'm in that sweet spot i'd never propose we bring the game i bring a giant stack of games and set them out prominently but i'm ne- i never say hey do we want to play a game Wait, you're never the one to bring no them. i just set them there and i'll eat pie and watch football until somebody wants to play a board game and if nobody wants to play a board game then i will have eaten a lot of pie and watched a lot of football which is still a great holiday. Yeah, this is the first time in several years that we've been able to actually get some out. When they were younger kids, I'd taught them like Forbidden Island and things mm-hmm. like that, but they've never been super huge into the gaming. So we tried to do some escape room stuff previously with them, and they were less interested. But they they, they had a good time this time. Scott, I had several nights where I did well teaching whoever was there and forcing people to play games. So much so that at the end of the night, people are like, oh, you did a really good job. Um, I did teach a group of friends on the Wednesday before Seven Wonders because I wanted to know if they should bring that to their family. And I was like, no, it's too complicated. They agreed. There was too much friction. They took Camel Up instead. Um, so you would say that their love for Seven Wonders eclipsed their love of Camel Up. Why do you keep doing that for him? Because he helped it? you out. Nobody helped me out when I was gone. For the <laughs> That's not I true. Said, I did. Yeah, I literally said it at the very end. Okay. But... Back to Seven Wonders. <laughs> I also taught a mixed group, and I mean like completely mixed, of social gamers, new gamers, you know, hardcore heavy guys, seven people uh, between two cities, and that game is better than Seven Wonders. That was the game I proposed aside, <laughs> uh, uh, opposite of Dragon and Flagon. We okay. would have had a much better time playing yes. between two cities. Yes. Yeah. Basically, half the people there just started making fun of cities and calling one of them Council Tucky and... Oh yeah, there was no there was no pollution in well, China, and they're like, "What's going on?" That's what happened in in our version of suburbia is Candace's, what like so this has got to be like the Omaha thing, right? Like whatever the worst city is always becomes count the council bluffs of these games because mm-hmm. she had the prison. Well, not bluffs, council Tucky. And no she, offense, council. Bluffs. She had a graveyard. <laughs> she had a graveyard that had this effect. That was anytime another player's tile has the uh, red population marker, which was only in this nightlife expansion, which really just represented if somebody was like murdered or mugged. (laughs) (laughs) She gained a population because she had the graveyard. Like her town was taking credit for (laughs) the population of the dead people. I was like, this is, ah, I love the theme of this game because it doesn't say that. And if you aren't paying any attention, you, you don't catch that ridiculous theme, but. Yeah, uh, that's almost as good as the dungeon pets rule for removing animals. And meat <laughs> magically appears. Yes. yes. Additionally, place two meat. <laughs> These two These things, things are, are unrelated. unrelated. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are we talking about today? So, we're gonna do a buyer's guide today. Woo! And then next week. So, tune in for both those episodes. It's like capitalism, yes. the podcast. So, first of all, if you came here from a link through like an e blast or something, thank you for sticking it out for 11 minutes before we finally got to the buying guide. This is what we do at the beginning of our podcast. You should listen to all of them. Subscribe. Usually, it's just all that, though. <laughs> yeah. And then we're like, okay, see you There's later. There's very little productive discussion of board games. It's. I think. Yeah. Way to sell it. <laughs> Good job. So thanks for listening to this one episode, and we'll see you never again. Uh, so we're going to do a holiday gift guide. Yeah, we're going to give some suggestions based on the type of gamer. Which gamer should we start with, Peter? Oh, let's, Cody? Well, oh, so I was just going to say, in general, most of the games we're going to talk about are for sale at Spielbound Board Game Cafe. Right. Just saying. I did not bind my choices to that. But I think a lot of them are. I did not either, but several and, of them. And we be. will be creating an actual um, uh, page on our website with all, with a bulk of this information, and hopefully we 
like actually do a little bit of writing. A couple of us have some writing ability here on this podcast. So theoretically, Jeff will do that. So before we get going, we'll just say there's two things you can get anyone <laughs> on your list. Number one, you, oh can get my them, gosh. you can get them a Spielbound gift card uh, from our website. Or you can, from our website, also get them a membership. So you can get, you can get someone you love a year membership. <laughs> and you can buy that right off the do website. You, yep. Right do you guys have or you can get them a gift card right off the website. Before we get into the nitty gritty, I think it's good to have a little bit of a philosophical discussion. What's your paradigm on board games as gifts? Is it just anything like any anyone? There's a board game for anyone, or do you only get board games for specific people on your Christmas list or Hanukkah I, list? Or? Yes, I literally buy everyone board games. They know they're getting a board game from me. It's how I create board gamers to play games with. Interesting. He creates them. I do. I teach them games, and then I get them games, and then they feel obligated to play them at my house. <laughs> That's fair. I don't. I don't do it for everyone. I there are definitely people who I, I know are interested, uh, and if they have lots of games already, I make sure that there is a, a gift receipt in there because, yeah, you never know when they've already picked something up for themselves if they don't have a, a you know want list or something on BGG, and even then you don't know if they've kept it up to date or if someone else picked the same thing. So I I don't do it as much probably as Cody does, but uh, I you know for the people that I think uh, will like it. Uh, I will usually do that. I do that a lot for my uh, coworkers and employees now. Uh, give them some, you know, usually something that uh, I know will they can play with their family. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do think there's a hidden bonus at, as for getting board games as gifts, which is that they're super easy to wrap. That is true. Faux show. So because they're square. Yes. So my favorite presents to buy every year are for a white elephant. I do with one side of my family. And in that white elephant, uh, 40% of the people get gift cards, and then there's like four or five woodworkers in the family, and they always do these amazing, like, you know, custom inlaid whatever woodworking creation they're making. Mm. And they're always trying to one-up each other because there's always two or three, and so everyone always wants to get those in the white elephant, uh, even though the, you know, the minimum, the requirement is it can only be $50 is the maximum, right? So you usually either get a gift card, you know, $50 gift card and some themed, like, hot chocolate with it, or you get... You know, fifty dollars worth of walnut that's been turned into hundreds of hours of, of beautiful woodwork, and I just get board games every time. And there are some people who like that, and I usually get games that can be played at Christmas. And there are some people who don't. And at the end of the day, like if I can steal back a game, maybe I will or not. But <laughs> it's, it's it's fun to try to pick a game for that different breadth of people and be like, you know, who would how would this game make the most people happy? You know. You know a fact that I learned that you'll probably cut out of the final cut of this podcast. We don't edit. The term white elephant uh, originated in Siam because the king of Siam used to gift people white elephants because they were so expensive to take care of that they this became annoying. And it was against their like cultural custom to kill or allow a white elephant to die. So people were literally like forced into poverty. So he gave them to people he hated. As like a burden. Elephants are expensive to, to upkeep. Yeah. I believe that. Yeah. My, our white elephants that we do are more on the uh, you know shocking side. Nothing I could probably go over on this podcast. But I had, <laughs> I had three really good ones this last weekend that everybody went home happy with. Let's so talk someone, about it here. Someone, <laughs> <laughs> someone gave you a board game one, one year, Peter, and then you got hooked. And now it's a hobby. And now you have to buy a bigger house to store your games, right? 
Uh, <laughs> it was a white elephant. Of, uh, it was not a white elephant, <laughs> but that's basically but yes, the white I, elephant. I do yeah. need more basements. So if anybody's got a shovel, it's the first person to ever buy each of us a board game, they were burdening us with a hobby that would then yeah, put us into true. poverty. Yeah, that's true. My sister came home from Target one Christmas with Ticket to Ride. Uh. Let's do this. I owned a coffee shop and I had to work on Saturdays and Will Wheaton's tabletop came out. And so I wanted to play those games. So I bought a couple and just advertised that we do that on Saturdays at my coffee shop. And then I started like that got real. That escalated quick. I have a I had a friend turned to a girlfriend turned to an ex who introduced me to Arkham Horror. And unfortunately, I, I, we, we broke up the relationship, but I did not break off my relationship with board games. Did you steal her copy or was it yours? No, I bought my own. That was the weirdest way to say a girl I dated once. Like, <laughs> well, we were friends when she introduced me to board games, and then we grew our love of board games as we grew our love of each other, and then the love of each other stopped, but the board games didn't. Well... <laughs> Sorry, I gotta, I, I, should we start with no. some really so, terrible dating advice? So my, mine, real, real quick. I, uh, I, I played a lot of stuff when I was younger. Uh, I had a friend who had, uh, you know, the original Fireball Island and Hero Quest, and I remember playing Crossfire over there. But the yes, the, uh, those are board games. Love Jason. Crossfire. Yes. Crossfire is straight up a board game. That's just a two-player text. They, they brought it back this year. But uh, anyways, uh, when Catan came out in English. Uh, I was in college, and I just randomly came across it, and I'd, I'd read an article somewhere saying hey, this was a huge game in Germany. Uh, it was out in uh, Kearney, Nebraska, at uh, a store that doesn't even exist anymore. But anyways, I picked it up, brought it back, and uh, then it got worse as I got money when I got a job. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's a basement full. Incidentally, the first game I, I bought for that uh, that that event... Munchkin. Uh, I shudder. I think I traded it away this year. All right, this person you think will be amenable to to playing a board game. How are you going to turn them into a gamer? A new gamer. A new gamer. What's the. Okay, hold on. I got to break. I got to get my spreadsheet up. So I'll I'll start. Um, I think that. One thing that we've agreed on in past years, because we've not, I don't know that we've done an official holiday buying guide, but we've just had this discussion in past years. Um, one of the best games to get uh, a person, not only because of the level of game, but also because of the price point and also because of the fun factor. Um, I'm going to advocate for code names, pick your version. Yes. I actually, right before we started, I, w- I was going to say, are there any games that we can just go ahead and label as literally good for any person ever? And Codenames is on that list. Like, Is that uh, going to get someone hooked on the hobby, Jeff? I would have thrown that in the social list. but Is yeah, that that's... is that the... I thought you said this was a person who'd be amenable to playing a game. Yeah. It's got to jump to the new gamer. Oh, so. okay. I'm sorry. But, oh. yeah, I, I, but I agree with Cody. I think this is a good... Yeah. And you can adjust the version of code names based on whether the person For is sure. a social gamer, a new gamer, a transitioning gamer, or whatever we call them. Well, and with um, Codenames Duet, you can also you know, play the cooperative version where you can make it more difficult. Yep. So for people who think they're really good at it, you can... 
ramp up the difficulty. Yep. All right. So, so before I start my list, Scott in real time is editing our spreadsheet with his opinion on everything <laughs> via emoji. <laughs> and it took me a second to figure out what was happening. Like, why is there a knife next to one of my, Oh, there's a barf emoji next to, Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, Scott, I'm assuming it's you, Scott. Uh, what? So I will start for new gamers. Uh, Five Tribes, I think, makes a really good uh, introduction into the hobby. It would have in 2006. Cody, I agree. You know what? I just bought my nine-year-old niece. What's that? Moncala. Exactly. exactly. Because everybody played Moncala at some point as yeah. a kid, and then you play Five Tribes, and it reminds them of that. Uh, so Five Tribes is a a giant grid and we talked about it recently on a pot on a, on an episode a giant grid it uses the Moncala uh, mechanism but there's five different colors and you can use them to to do five different types of actions uh it's just a fun little uh resource generating game it's just it's nice it's just a nice little introduction so five tribes would be one that i would say for a new new gamer yeah for my list here i tried to cover things that i thought or covering uh, some of the base mechanisms that anybody who's stepping into this hobby should learn. So the first one I put there was Pandemic. Uh, yes, that's really good. Action selection, and it's one probably one of the first cooperative games a lot of people have played. So I, I would agree, but one of the things that I've noticed every time that I try to teach Pandemic is it's way more complicated than I remember it being. So I, 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 that's almost to me a step up. Yeah. So I, so for one of the other categories we have uh, for family level, I have another game by the same designer that's simpler, but this one's somebody that I thought was maybe taking that next step. This isn't a, isn't a somebody who's never played a game before. They're stepping into you know the the hobby of a little bit heavier games. That's fair. That's fair. Great choice. Yeah. With pandemic, I literally am thinking of a an old college buddy who like expressed interest in games played pandemic they're hooked yeah i'm just gonna go with camel up that's another one that is almost perfect for literally any person it is i almost put that on three you or could four argue different it's categories more of a social gamer because it plays eight um but there's just there's just enough strategy there that it's not an intimidating intimidating game to play or teach Mm-hmm. But there's just enough strategy that people kind of start starts to click in their mind, like, oh, if I do this and I wait till this and I get this piece of information, then I can then I can wager better. And uh, it's not fun if you're not gambling, but you know you can reduce your losses and then win in Camel Up, which is a game where you're betting on camels uh, and you're trying to you know make the best wagers to win the most money. So what I loved when Camel Up came out, the the way the graphics in the box look, everybody argued whether it was Camel Up or Camel Cup. So they've redone the game. There's a brand new version out. And now the U looks like a V, so people are trying to figure out if it's Camel VP or, <laughs> or not. But, <laughs> Camel VP. but between the two boxes, it's Camel Up. Some you would say we have a Camel. Is, I mean, what? <clears throat> the, oh. Got a little political there for a second. Sorry. You you barely got there, though, so that's good. Okay. I, okay. I cut myself off at the right point. Uh, so are there the, any other the, games for the, new gamers? Oh, I got a ton. So the – and I, I'll rattle them off. And again – the article doesn't exist as we talk right now, but theoretically, by the time the second half of this podcast airs, we will have uh, more detailed uh, information on these games on the website. Uh, so I would say Bunny Kingdom makes a good game for somebody who is considering board games. It's 
area control, but the conflict is pretty light. Um, the theme is good enough that it will engage somebody through uh, the rule set. Like a lot of these, a lot of these Euro games, the theme's so boring that people can't handle the rules because they get bored. Bunny Kingdom stays interesting because you got the little plastic bunnies and the cards have all this cool art on it. Um, and it makes a little bit of sense how you're like growing your castles and stuff. So Bunny Kingdom uh, by Yellow, uh, the publisher Yellow, is r- really underrated. I really like that game. Yeah, so I, I limited myself to three, but I could probably name a hundred. But uh, the next one I had here, uh, just to kind of get people introduced to deck building, was Dominion. It's the the original one. There's lots of other games that have come out since that probably do it, you know, maybe a little better or add we another twist to it. A little better, right? Uh, I mean, if if you were not wanting to do, you know, the original, I mean, Trains is is another one. That deck builder that's better than Dominion. That's just like lighter for a new a new gamer. Yeah, well, I was gonna. I have one oh. for two player. Oh, DC deck building. Game. Yeah, DC deck builder or legendary. I yeah. actually like legendary a little better than DC. Are those less friction than Dominion? Like are those easier to? Uh, they're not as skillful. Well, okay. Dominion, so, I think, takes the most skill. Yeah, but and so it's pretty long for the Marvel one. Legendary has more rules, but is probably a better game. But the DC deck builder has like four rules it plays really fast and it just kind of gets to the superheroes yeah. i mean if you wanted the most basic way to introduce it i would say star realms for 15 bucks uh dang it that's a great one yep that'd be a really good pick for a two-player game yeah, yeah, would peter be. wins the podcast well, yeah because he took jeff's suggestion and well it, we, really we can game. overlap here that's not a big deal we're yeah, no, we're likely to so. overlap i don't think we're allowed to so Oh man, I I forgot we were gonna say why people wouldn't like these games, but whatever. <laughs> Occasionally, maybe well, whatever. Well, I pointed out Dominion. It's a little bit, it's a little bit heavier than new gamer stuff, and it's a little bit longer. Yeah. I think and it's a little bit it, combo-ier. It was one of the first ones I yeah. got into when I was really getting into the hobby yes. uh, again. I guess right. Code names can lead to analysis paralysis. Uh, so the one I'll suggest mm-hmm. for new gamers is Ticket to Ride New York. Oh, there might not be anything wrong with that game. Who wouldn't like that game? People it's, who enjoy fun? No, I'm just no. have you played the New York I version? It's a little tighter, smaller version. It's a smaller yes. board game. It takes all of the fun of Ticket to Ride and puts it in the actual 10 minutes of time that that is. Like, Ticket to Ride is 10 minutes of fun in an hour. Like Right. Ticket t- to Ride was my first game, but if it was one-third as long... Yes. Perfect. It, 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 ticket to Ride New York. It, it's simple. It like The name is wrong because you don't need a ticket to get on a taxi because the theme true. is taxis in New yeah. York City. So the name is, is wrong. I have another. It's cheaper. Game Go for it. That I think has good and bad. For new gamers. You're going to convert this person into board games. I think Ethnos does a good job of that. I agree. And it's I think it, it does a good job of introducing the concept of area control. It has, for a new gamer, it has sort of that aha moment where you realize that like the way that you play things matters as opposed to what, and, and as well as what you play yeah. matters. And the, the set collection and the area control, I think, introduces a new gamer to the those two really, really fundamental um, mechanics of board games. And it has a very noticeable pressure luck. You know when you're pressing your luck. You know why you're pressing yeah, your luck. Right. And that's such a relatable thing when you're bringing new gamers into it. Agreed. Um, and it's not too long. Yeah. So I added one that's so cutthroat that it got a, that got a knife emoji from Scott. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I c- it was either that or Scott was trying to, to deforest uh, Arboretum. 
Oh, so, dang, you stole my other two player selections. So I put Arboretum <laughs> as getting somebody in the game because that game is beautiful and it is nasty. Like, and there are some players that want mean games. Like, there's a decent chunk of people that that's why they like Monopoly is because it like hurts their family members' feelings, and like Arboretum very much elicits that same emotion and it surprises you because it's pretty and you're you're making an orchard and it's trees and, and you get to like three cards pretty. left in the deck and you're like oh i'm gonna kill someone yeah and then you realize that jeff's sitting over there holding on to the six or whatever specific oaks specifically because he knows it will ruin your game like yep. like yeah there there's there's a really mean streak to that game but it's beautiful additionally we have some deluxe copies here with the wooden box, and it's all pretty. We have some deluxe. More uh, importantly than the wooden box, the new printing makes the ability to tell the trees apart much better. Yeah. Well, and there's foil cards in there that are yeah. just yeah. gorgeous. So we have what? the new, we have the new edition, and we have the deluxe. How edition. much is the deluxe edition? No idea. I believe 35 it's thirty-five. Bucks. I saw very three well. copies down there. I so think I think the the base version, well. which we have, is twenty bucks. I want to say. Yeah, something like that. Because I have the old one in my backpack because I have Cody's copy. That's right. I will say Happy some, I, some it, occasion. If yeah. you buy Arboretum, um, do yourself a favor and buy the person a chess clock as well because that game is exponentially more fun with a chess clock. Hmm. That game is incredibly cutthroat and it's... And adding that, a chess clock yes. only... So that would be very yeah. mean. So it's, it's got, it's you got, got to, drawbacks. Yeah. You, you're, that f- the friend you are giving that game to cannot have thin skin. Yeah, it's one of my favorite games. It is a little tough to teach to brand new people. Yeah, I would but agree. if it's somebody who's you know stepping up in the hobby, it's not that hard. All right, let's move on. New category. Are, are we are, have we cleared our well, get let people me, in the let gaming? Let me do one more here. Okay, because uh, worker placement, I feel, is another essential oh, yeah. mechanism, and I put viticulture. Uh, just because it's Jamie. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's Cody one of those where <laughs> you can. <laughs> You can step through the process. You know, you need to get wine. You know, you need to age it. You know, so it's yeah, yeah. Uh, it's one of those that you can uh, grasp the concept of through the theme pretty well. It's good at three or four players. Don't play it at five or six. Yeah, that probably makes sense. I just uh, so I reorganized my board games. Hey, everybody, I'm a new dad. And do you want to come do mine? Stuck in my house. <laughs> no, <laughs> nobody's got that kind of time, Peter. Uh, so uh, because my basement flooded. In the, sp- in, in the spring, Peter's too, and it's oh. b- it's finally been remodeled, and so my games f- can basement. finally come back down into the basement from upstairs, and so I got to reshelf them, and I like didn't do them all by mechanic, but I definitely put all my worker placement games in one place because that's a mechanic I love. It's such a pure idea. Like if I take this spot, I get the thing for that spot. I also block anybody else from using that spot. Like it's such a like great. It's a great mechanic, and so viticulture is a good uh, version of that. What what are other? I mean, Lords of Waterdeep is frequently used for yes for newer gamers, but Lords of Waterdeep is so long. Yeah, I I wish there was a New York version of that where it's just one third as long. Viticulture is a little Mm -hmm. friendlier version of worker placement too, and there's multiple spots, but only one of them has the bonus. So you're blocking the bonus out from others. Yeah, that's true. Stone Age is is. The like that was my introduction to it with Stone Age. I enjoyed the new one that's in the same family as Raiders of the North Sea, Paladins of the West Kingdom, I believe it's called. Hmm. I liked that worker placement game quite a bit. Yeah, the Architects one is really good. Maybe that's what it is. Architects of the where you keep adding workers to the same spot. Yep. Yeah, that's That's what it was. Paladins. Where did I come up with Paladin? That's the one that came out afterwards. 
One of those two is very good. Huh. All right, let's pick another another person to give a gift for. Also, if you have a specific gamer in mind that maybe falls in the category, but you had some questions, tweet at us. We love discussing the perfect board game for people. Like, get hyper specific. Like, that is like I've never met a board gamer who doesn't like to try and figure out the right board game for other people. Including a picture is helpful as well. Yeah, of their current board game shelf. I meant of them. Oh. Awkward. Uh, okay, what's our next category? I'm excited. I'm amped up. Well, y'all stole my two-player suggestions. Oh, you can think of some other two-player games. Let's go ahead and jump to two-player since we're teasing it. Star uh, Realms and Arboretum are two of the best two-player games ever, but I'll add my other one before agreed. someone else steals it. Uh, Patchwork. Yep, that's first on my list as well. What? Patchwork. First on my list is Star Wars Rebellion. Oh, I'm going to put Lord. that in a different category. Slightly longer oh, than those other Lord. three games. Yeah, that okay, should... so who who's playing Star Wars Rebellion? Describe that. Describe the gift E in that. Who gets that game? Your 80-year-old grandmother. Someone who likes Star Wars. And Rebellion. Because if they like Star Wars, they're going to love that game. I don't it is Star Wars in a box. Yes, it's literally Star Wars. Uh, someone who likes deduction games. Someone who likes to play mm. a little cat and mouse. Mm. Someone who has two and a half to three hours <laughs> to read the instructions and then another two and, and a half for three to play. Someone, wow, you can watch videos on how to play online. Someone who likes to uh, lose a game terribly and then want to play again because they want to do better the next time. And they want to play the other side. Yes. You, yeah. So in Star Wars Rebellion, in case you don't know, we've talked about it a bunch in the podcast. One of you plays as the Empire, and you're trying to find the hidden rebel base and stamp out the rebellion. And the other one plays the rebellion, and they're just trying to do a little damage with hit and run tactics against the Empire. And at the beginning of the game, you get a secretly selected planet where the hidden rebel base is, and then the Empire is trying to find it the whole time. And it is a game I didn't play the first year it was out because I was like, nah, nah, that's not for me. It's too theme heavy. It's not mechanically sound. I don't like I don't like theme games. And then oh, it's mechanically sound. Once I played it. Yes. The theme makes the mechanics better, and the mechanic makes the theme better. Expansion or no expansion, Scott? Um, yes. Okay. Or no. It doesn't matter. It's, and that's a behemoth of a box. You wrap that up for somebody, they're going to be excited by the size and weight of the gift that they have received. And we have it for sale. If it's too big of a you know, price tag, come in with your buddy and play it in Spielbound. We have the expansion in the game. I believe it's protected at Spielbound. Come in. Get a get membership. A membership. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, two player two games. player games. Uh, I have a an outside the box one here. Keyforge. Keyforge comes in a box. It does. Uh, <laughs> as a two player game, uh, I was gonna check it before we came in here, but I forgot to. Jeff, you're not a dad yet. So the base. So Keyforge is a unique two player card game where you buy a uni- a brand new unique deck. Is that a shorter Dominion? Is a shorter version of Dominion? No. And it's like a shorter version of Magic the Gathering. Like, okay. You're uh, saying Key Forge. I thought you said Key Flower. No, Key Forge. I'm thinking of Dice Forge. Wow. <laughs> I what, about fla- what about Dice Flower? 
<laughs> you know, Dice Forge almost made the list in a couple of different places. All right, uh, I'm, I'm focusing. What what's Key the game? Flower is a worker placement game I love. Key Forge is the Richard Garfield one where every okay. deck is a unique. We got deck. those unique Spielbound decks. Okay. Um. Yeah. So. So you buy two decks. You buy two decks, but they also have a box. You can just buy the starter box. Right. Okay. So you buy the starter box with all the tokens, and it comes with a couple of decks. And then if you like it, you can buy a couple of new decks. And then there's there are so many different formats to go play that on a weekly basis. But even the starter box is all unique. It's not an LCG. Yes. So yeah. It is there, and you are not allowed to build. A deck, you buy a randomized deck that has a unique combination of cards that has never been before and never will be again. It's just that one deck, and and it's and it's an interest. It's interesting gameplay as well. Um, each deck composes of three different factions, and as you play those factions, it's it's interesting. I I enjoy it. And all the card names are randomly generated. Which oh has yes, also been quite funny. Yes. Uh, the names of the decks, the picture on the back of the cards that is that Archon is all randomly generated. Yeah, it's just a really cool, interesting niche thing, too. Like, if somebody likes board games, it's a really weird implementation of board games. Like, it's such a unique thing that hasn't been done before. So, Keyforge. All right, so my two-player one uh, that I have after patchwork was Seven Wonders Duel. I know call. Co- Cody's a bigger eh. fan of the two-player version of Seven Wonders, but uh, Seven Wonders he, Duel is... He's wrong. I, I would agree, but I'm not going to go there. Uh, <laughs> I am. You're wrong. The, it's, uh, the takeaway is Seven Wonders Duel is really good as a two-player game. It is it a very is. good two-player game. It is. I'm not here to talk bad on Seven Wonders Duel, which is a very good game. It's just not the best game ever made. Seven no. Wonders. But uh, it takes a lot of the mechanisms from Seven Wonders... <laughs> And puts it into a, a card drafting, but instead of passing the deck around, you deal the cards out on the table so everyone can see. And then as you uh, uncover, so there's there's certain layouts for each round that changes each time. And some of the cards are face down, some are face up. When you take all the cards off of a face down card, it flips over and you, you know, reveal that to the other player. So uh, it's, it's really good. And the expansion adds some more interesting choices and... Makes it so you can't just count out the turns, but uh, it doesn't really need the expansion. It's it's a good game without it. And it's one of those games, much like Arboretum, where if you play with the same person, like you will in a two-player game, several times you'll kind of get a metagame around it, and you'll have to react to what they're doing. Yep. I agree. Any other two-player games? I have one that we kind of already spoke on. Revolution 1838. Never even heard of it. 1828. It's with the poker chips in the middle of the table, and you like pull things towards you. Or I play with Jeff and Peter. Uh, to quote Shaggy, it wasn't me. I think that is the Stephen Feld game, isn't it? It, it is. It's, it's the one Stephen Feld, Feld, Feld game, game that Bryce does not like. <laughs> I didn't hear the word point or salad in there. It's not. In it's not a point salad game. It's a zero sum. You know. Wow. Uh, we have it for Spielbound. We have it for Spielbound. We have it for sale at Spielbound and to play in the library. It's you know it's a small box square two-player game and it's it's pretty good i like it can can i take a, a brief aside what's the name of that game before i lead us away revolution of 1828 revolution of 1828 is mm. about the presidential election of 1828 well that's exciting that seems cool and you're influencing mm. the electors the theme is pasted on so i i have two questions so this is under this is a tangent this is fully a tangent so first question what is your favorite feld game revolution of 1828 I mean castles of burgundy that or Bruges. And mine's Amerigo. What's the first Feld you ever played? Castles of Burgundy. Mine, mine's no Amerigo. Clue. Mine's probably Castles, but who knows? Probably 
Uh, mine may have been Rialto. Oh, okay. My uh, my th- my may th- have been Rialto too. My theory is is that the first Feld you play is probably going to be your favorite, and then each one after that, you're like less enamored because it's like a little samey. And I think that's a, a good theory. Yeah. So anyway, Steffenfeld made a lot of very popular games. I like one of them, and we had a lot of them at our Black Friday sale for fifty percent off. He got paid. <laughs> he doesn't care. We sell him fifty percent. It's true. Uh, I did. I have one more. Oh, I had Codenames Duet on my two-player okay. list. Right, which my, there's a Codenames application for everything. Yeah, that's that one is a lot of fun. The cooperative version mm-hmm. and the Harry Potter version is also the same type of rules. Duet you can rules, do the duet. Yeah. Yep. Pandemic Legacy is a good two-player game. Yeah, honestly, if you're if you're if you're legitimately looking for a gift for your significant other that likes Harry Potter. Get them the Harry Potter code names. It's a do. It's a co- cooperative two-player version of it. It's really good. I will have add one caveat to that, which is it if it is likely that you and your significant other will fight about your opinions on Harry Potter. Do not get Harry Potter code names because what'll happen is you'll give a clue like nice, and then they'll point to McGonagall and you'll be like, you didn't. You, McGonagall's not nice. What do you? And you just cause fights. Hmm. McGonagall, that was a bad example, but I've seen I, it. I like that example. She's known to be strict. But also nice. Mm, I don't know. See, <laughs> See I would have gone nice. All right. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. I think well, the four of us need to I got one last Harry one. I was oh, Peter's Code got names. one last oh, one. Oh, okay. So uh, another one I believe we still have out here is Santorini. Yes. Uh, it, it is like a, more of an abstract game, but the, uh, the powers that you get for your uh, – they're different gods that you represent for. Does that play more than two players? But it, Peter, it, it this game play plays three or four. Yeah, it's better it does, it's but, way better. It's but it's it's you play three or four. It's teams. Well, it's four. It's teams. I would never play at three. Oh, it's so bad at three. Uh, but I honestly, it's it's two is is what it is intended for. Uh, it's just one of those games where they pasted on ways to play it with three or four, and uh, two is perfect for it. Join I, us I next have... week, and we'll see if Cody or Jeff recommend Eclipse. The Spielcast is recorded at Spielbound Board Game Cafe in Omaha, Nebraska. You can reach us at spielcast at spielbound.org, or you can always tweet at us at spielbound with the hashtag spielcast. Subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts, and as always, please give us a five-star rating. Thanks for listening.